0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: They're they're putting the growers first and sharing their stories, whether it's on like a bag of craisins or on the back of a juice bottle or on their commercials and um, they're they're really pushing like how sustainable we are and they want people to know that. And it's really, it's cool. Like I'm excited. They kind of gave me the idea of starting, you know, my Instagram page and stuff to just really highlight what it's like to be a cranberry grower, because people don't know.
2: That was fifth generation cranberry grower, Amber Bristow, who is our guest today on the Farm Traveler podcast? This is a great one if you are interested in learning everything about cranberries. I know growing up, my dad, which you're probably going to hear this story like two or three more times in the podcast. My dad had cranberry juice. I love cranberry juice. He wouldn't let us drink cranberry juice. So when I moved away to college, that was one of the first things I bought. And I called him and was like, hey, I have my own bottle of cranberry juice. Ha ha ha. So, anyway, this is such a cool interview with Amber. She's going to walk us through the production techniques of cranberries, why they flood the cranberry beds, um, and kind of how they prevent frost, because in Wisconsin, which is where Amber's from and where their farm is, it gets really, really cold. So, she's going to tell us how they prevent frost damage with, you know, ice and sand, which is really interesting. It's really neat learning more about cranberry production and how involved it is, and also, Amber also has an agriculture-related podcast, which is called Forward Farming, and it's a great little podcast with her and her co-host, Becca, highlighting what they do in Wisconsin agriculture. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Be sure to check out Amber at the links in the description. We'll include like her Instagram, which is Cranberry Chats, and also the link for her podcast. So this is the Farm Traveler Podcast, episode 69, with Amber Bristow. Hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. Amber, aka Cranberry Chats on Instagram. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing?
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk with you because I have a slight addiction to grape juice. So <laughs> oh, um, perfect. I'm, I know it's, it's the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> so you're a cranberry farmer in Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, kind of walk us through like your background. Like how did you wind up um, growing cranberries and what are you doing now?
1: Yeah. So actually I grew up on our family cranberry marsh. So I am a fifth generation grower out here Um, and it all started back in 1918. My great, great, great granddaddy, somewhere, something like that. um, He started, he moved into this area and he started our marsh with just 11 acres of cranberries and then it just kind of got passed down through generations. And today we have 230 acres of cranberries. And that's pretty much the only thing that we can grow out in this area. So we're kind of known as a cranberry capital of Wisconsin, just because of the perfect conditions that we have to grow cranberries. Um, so we have a really fine, sandy, acidic soil that's perfect. That cranberries love that. Uh, so we can't grow like crop like corn or soybeans or anything out here. It just doesn't take well. Um, so uh, anyway, we have 230 acres. My dad married into the family business. Um, so it was my mom and her sister and both married husbands that wanted to work on the Marsh full time. So they kind of took it over and, and then they had me <laughs> and I grew up kind of just following my dad around and being his little shadow. And I always loved being out here. I remember, um, I don't know, I was pretty young and I would just have like these huge fits of never wanting to leave home. And just always wanting to stay here and I grew up a little bit and I worked uh, Out here during the summers. I would pull weeds All day every day I would sit on a bucket and my entire summer was just spent pulling weeds And my parents always told me it would build character um, I don't know if 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 character is the right word to describe what it built, but (laughs) um That's that's kind of how I got started out here and then I decided um, when I was time to go to school, I went to school for sport management and leadership. <laughs> so I was really big into sports at the time and I really wanted to work in baseball in some way. Um, so that's kind of what I did. I started out working at a summer collegiate team nearby. And then I, um, as I, a couple years later, I wound up working for a minor league baseball team in Iowa for a year doing community relations and I really loved doing that, but it was it was hard. I was going to school and I was still trying to work, pretty much like a hundred hours a week um, for this minor league team, and it was it was a struggle. And I found out that, you know, that's not really where I meant to be. Like I knew I needed to do that in order to come back home and make me appreciate what I had here. So I went to school and I had kind of a business background, um, so I knew I could kind of fall back on that. So I didn't really get any formal agriculture education other than what I was picking up out here so I pretty much had to beg and plead my parents like I, I need to come back home let me come back home and uh, my mom was a little hesitant at first she didn't think you know like oh her her little girl can't handle working out on the marsh being a farmer and my dad was all for it so I'm very thankful that they kind of pushed me out of the nest and Um, said, you know, this will always be here if you want it, but go out and do your own thing. And I did my own thing. And I realized on my own that, you know, I don't belong out in a big city or anything. I belong back here on the marsh. Um, So I started working here full time about three years ago now. And I got married a year and a half ago. And my husband also just joined in on the fun um, last harvest season. So he's been out here working with me and it's been a lot of fun.
2: Well that's super cool. That's a very kind of interesting <laughs> background. You went from the farm, then away, you did this whole sports thing. Yeah. And then you're like, no way, I'm going back to the farm. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. I, I bet your yeah. parents are really excited to have you there and kind of carry on the fifth generation thing. That's neat.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. And I'm I'm like I said, I'm really I'm I'm really glad that they made me kind of do that because if I want to have, I don't know if I would have almost resented the fact that they kind of held me here because that's kind of the personality I have. Like if they tell me to do something, I'm going to do the opposite. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I kind of got like, I don't want to say a rebellious phase out, but you know, I got to go out and kind of see what the real world is like, if you will. And then it makes me, it makes me appreciate what I have here.
2: I go yeah, you kind of realize that that small town life it's it's extremely unique. So yes, that's crazy. <laughs> that's that, for sure. That's so neat though. Well, so what's the whole um what's the whole cranberry production thing looks like? I mean, you know, a lot of people think that they grow cranberries in ponds, but you and I both <laughs> know that's not true. So right. what's that whole and what does that whole production process look like?
1: Yeah, so cranberries are a perennial plant. Um, so we have some vines out here that are gosh probably over fifty years old. Um, I've heard of some vines that are in production for over like 100 years. So it kind of just depends on how well you take care of the vines, what type of variety you have, and the soil and environment that they're in. They can keep producing year after year until they just kind of fizzle out. Um, So that's that's really cool. Um, So we don't have to replant everything every spring. So that would be a pain. So um, like I mentioned, cranberries grow in a very sandy, acidic soil. So we have a lot of that just natural out here so that's what we grow them in so uh, we have 230 acres of cranberries and we kind of break them down into uh, manageable sizes so what we call cranberry beds so each cranberry bed is around like two to five acres so it's kind of just like this long rectangle surrounded by a ditch and then there's a dam running in between all of the beds if that makes sense hopefully.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that does. does.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we have all these beds and we have several different varieties of cranberries based on like their ripeness rate. Um, So we're not harvesting everything all at once. It's all in the same general time, but some we have like an early variety, which is ready um, early to mid-September. Then we have like a normal variety, which starts that we can harvest kind of end of September, all of October. And then we have a late variety, uh, which is ready end of October into beginning parts of November. Um, So we have different varieties that we have, and we have those just kind of all throughout, all throughout the entire marsh. Um, So when we do plant, we have, um, what we do is if we have a variety that we really like, we will actually go out and we will just mow all those vines off, like mow it right down to the ground. And then we'll go out there with a hay bale, like a hay baler, and we'll just pick those vines right up into these giant hay bales of cranberry vines. And then um, once we're ready, once we know which beds we want to renovate, we'll we'll pretty much just tear everything up. We'll tear out all those old vines, dig out all that old soil that was in there, and then we'll replenish it with a new layer of sand, get it up to grade. And once we have that sand perfectly level, we'll go in and we have drain tile that we put in underneath the sand. Um, So we we switched from using like this really dark, almost like a peat soil, um, and we found that that really holds moisture and whereas like the sandy soil that makes it drain a little bit easier and it doesn't hold quite as much water. So we still add some drain tile into that sand and then once we have that all level again, um, we'll go in with these vines that we trimmed off from another bed (laughs) And we'll just shake those vines right on top of the sand. And um, we will disc them into the sand. We'll run water on them, fertilize them a bunch over the summer, and then they'll start to grow from those clippings. And the bed that we mowed, that will continue to grow. And it'll, it'll grow throughout the summer, but it won't produce any fruit that summer. So the, next, the following October, um, that bed will be ready to be harvested from the bed that we mowed. Whereas the new plantings, it takes about two to three years of growth and development before they're mature enough to produce like a worthy crop. Um, So that's kind of unique in itself. And uh, so that's kind of, that kind of takes up our entire, pretty much half of our winter into um, like May is typically when we plant. And then in the summer months, we are pretty much just sitting back and watching everything grow and we apply fertilizer throughout the summer. Um, And in the evenings and mornings, we irrigate. So there's a lot of water out here as well. So we have um, a lot of reservoirs that, most of them are man-made, but we have a really high water table out here too. So that water is just here. Um, So we irrigate and then any water um, that is extra, it goes right back to where it came from. So that's why we have all these ditches. They're connected um, to ponds. So we have like this continuous flow. Back and forth. So any water that we do use, it goes right back when we're done with it, which is really nice. Um, So we're trying to be as sustainable as possible in that sense with our water use. Um, So that's kind of summer is just keeping an eye on things, fertilizing, irrigating. And then, um, like I said before, harvest usually occurs uh, September through pretty much the beginning of November and that is quite the process that's kind of the image that most people are familiar with when they see cranberries so when you see the cranberries in water that's the only time that cranberries are in water is during harvest the rest of the time they grow on a low running vine Um, so i compare it a lot to like a shag carpet so it's it's really dense and it's a couple inches thick Um, and it's just this really lush green running vine so when we do harvest what we'll do is we'll put Uh, about six inches of water into a bed. So we will flood a couple of beds at a time so we're not wasting water. And we'll flood um, about six inches. And then we have this tractor, it's called a Harrow. So it has um, treads instead of tires. And then on the front of this small tractor, it has like these little metal fingers (laughs) on the front and then on the back. And what we'll do is we'll drive this Harrow into the bed and then it will drive on top of the vines. And so that water that we put in there acts as a cushion between the treads and the vines. So it's not just like straight contact. Um, so it's a little bit easier on the vines it won't tear them up as much. And then he'll drive um, one lap down and then these fingers will just kind of comb through the vines and they kind of shake and vibrate along the way. So it's just real gentle on the vines and just kind of picks the berries right off the vine. Um, so he'll pretty much just make laps around a bed, and then once he's all done, he'll come out and move on to the next one. So once he has that bed, once he has all the fruit picked off of the vines, we'll add two feet of water. we'll add, we'll add two more feet of water onto what uh, we already have. So that way all the fruit will float up out of the vines. so when we're ready to corral them, it won't get caught in there, and we won't lose as much fruit. Um, so when we're ready to corral, we have two tractors. And they have like these big metal reels on the back and on these big reels, they're full of, we call them cranberry booms. Um, so it's kind of like the best way I can describe it is like, you know, that thing that separates the shallow end from the deep end in a pool, like those little floating. Like <laughs> that's that rope that's thing? a good
2: explanation. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. Um, so they come in like these 100 foot strips. Um, so we have these, these booms all connected together with like these metal clasps and then they're wound up on these reels. So these two tractors will kind of back into each other in the center of the short end of a bed and then um, we'll unwind one reel and then we will clip it to the front of one tractor <laughs> and these tractors have like big hair dryers on the side of them. So the the tractor with the reel that is giving the boom stays in uh, he'll stay in that spot while the other tractor hooks his, the other guy's boom up to his tractor. <laughs> and then he will start to drive all the way around. And then as he's driving, he's blowing like his hair dryer out into the water and pushing all of the fruit away from the dam so he can corral it all with this boom. So we have to, before we start doing this, we kind of have to judge the size of the crop and kind of determine how many feet of boom it's gonna take to corral everything without losing any. So typically we need about seven to 800 feet of this boom to corral corral everything in one corner. So once it kind of determined that um, this guy keeps driving until the guy standing at the the non-moving tractor, he'll wave him off when he gets to that mark. So once he gets to like 700 feet, he'll wave him off to stop. And then he will go to the back of his tractor, unhook that last boom, hook it up to his tractor and then drive along the opposite dam until they're about equal until they're like on this, the same spot on either side. And then they'll just drive together and then they'll meet in one corner, depending on like which way the wind is blowing and things like that. So they'll meet in one corner, unhook and then stake that into the ground. And then, so everything is just pulled into like a teardrop shape. So then once, once they have all of that corralled, then we come in with our pickup crew. And, um, this is, this is where I get to play. <laughs> so we have this <laughs> Uh-oh, big, <fine>. okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh oh, it's right. <laughs> so we come in, um, we have, it's called a berry pump. So it's pretty much just like this huge cart and, uh, I can drive it. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, so I drive up to where, um, this, the boom is connected, like in the, in the point in that one corner and I'll drive, I'll drive this machine up there and then, um, once we get it kind of leveled out, so I have jacks and I need to make sure everything is perfectly level because we're using water on this. Water's just involved everywhere at this point. <laughs> so this, uh, this machine, it has this arm, like this long arm, like a boom arm that goes out into the water. And on this boom arm, there's like a metal square that has water jets on it. And so, and then at the bottom of the square, there's like, uh, it's like a big cranberry vacuum. <laughs> So this arm will go into the water um, so that the vacuum part is underneath the water surface and like this metal bar or like the square will sit on top of the water and it will blast water (laughs) onto the fruit and it kind of cleans them off that way. So it creates kind of like this whirlpool effect. So it has water shooting in, um, in this square and it just rotates around. So it's like a whirlpool, like a jet. And, uh, Then we have like the sucking motion of this vacuum and then with like the whirlpool thing going on and then once the fruit is sucked up, it goes up into like this long tube and then um, I'm standing on top of this berry pump. So it's like 20 feet in the air and the fruit is getting sucked all the way to the top and at the top there's like this big uh, bin. (laughs) So there's all the fruit that's getting sucked up and it's mixed in with water up at the top of this bin. So then, um, to one side, you it kind of goes down at a on a slope. So at the slope, we have like little metal grates. Um, they're spaced perfectly apart. So when we send all of our fruit to Ocean Spray, and they have a size requirement of our fruit, so they don't want fruit that's real small. They want you know they have a certain size standard that we need to send. So we have these grates spaced apart perfectly. So nothing but the the right size fruit will get through and everything else it falls through these cracks and it'll shoot to the other end of this machine. And it will go, we call it our trash truck. So that's pretty much all the small berries, any vines or leaves that get sucked up in with this, with the fruit, it kind of goes all into that one side. And then we have all this clean, um, good sized fruit will go and it'll go down these grates and it'll go into the back of a semi truck. So, my job is to stand up here and make sure that um, I'm watching the semi truck and I let the guys know when it's getting full enough that they need to pull it forward, when they need to stop, if they need to back up at all, um, and let them know when the truck is full and I shut everything down and let them know to bring in a new truck. Um, so, meanwhile, the guys down below, their job is to keep an eye on me. <laughs> and then they're also pulling in this cranberry boom. So, they're pulling um, the entire weight of they're pulling in all the fruit at once and they're pulling it in 100 feet at a time with that cranberry boom. So they're pulling the boom out of the water and kind of walking it, walking it backwards. So it's just getting tighter and the, the circle is getting smaller and smaller as they're pulling it in. Hopefully that makes a little sense.
2: <laughs> no, that does. I, I okay. had no clue how involved it was. I mean, yeah, oh, it's there's <laughs> so much going on
1: there, there really is. And I, I haven't really talked about that a lot, on on my instagram page because it's so hard to describe without actually seeing it just because it's so foreign to so many people and like it's it's hard for me to describe these things because there's nothing else like it out there so there's like we don't have companies make us these implements or anything like everything is so specific to us that we kind of have to make things ourselves so like this berry pump that I'm talking about, like I don't know how to describe it because there's nothing else out there that I've seen that compares to it. So um, just hang on until October and I'll try to show, give a picture of, of what I'm trying to talk about. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully that makes a little bit of sense, uh, but that's kind of harvest in a nutshell. It's super labor intensive. They're really long days. Um, and mean we, like we, we go from eight o'clock in the morning until you know, whenever we get done for the day. So sometimes that could be six, seven o'clock. Um, and in all the while we're trying to watch for frost <laughs> the, the night before. So usually my day starts at 3 30 in the morning and I don't get done until six, seven o'clock that night. So they're super long days. Um and I'm I'm very excited when November rolls around. <laughs> we can just kind <laughs> of oh, sit back imagine. for a minute. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I said, November um, we we take a week off, thankfully during deer season because that's a holiday around here. And then uh, once we come back from deer season, then we we kick into gear for next year already. We're we're thinking about renovations, getting re- getting everything ready for that. Um, we're we're driving dump trucks a lot during that time, hauling sand uh, in and out of new beds that we're we're renovating. And we also will, um, uh, will sand in the winter months. So what that means is we will flood everything back up. So we'll put like whenever it gets cold. So as soon as a, the fruit is off the vines, the vines will go into dormancy. So it'll just kind of shut down until it starts to get warm again, which I kind of relate to, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs>
2: True. we all do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so once the vines go into dormancy, they already have their buds for next year. So right now, the vines will have buds for next spring's crop. So we really need to protect those once it gets cold out. So the way that we protect the vines is with water. That's kind of our only resource that we have to protect everything. So when it gets cold, uh, usually around like Christmas or New Year, we will put a flood on whenever it gets like really cold, like that first cold snap that we get. Um, We'll put a harvest level flood. So we'll put two feet of water on everything. And then we'll wait for that water to freeze up into ice. And so usually we leave that water on for a week to 10 days is kind of like the maximum that we do. And then we'll pull all that water off. So we'll drain all the water, send it back to the ponds where it came from. And then that way that ice just kind of sits right on top of the vines and it and it protects them all winter long. So we'll do this process a couple times in the winter. So we'll our, our goal is to have like 14 inches of ice, enough ice so we can load or so we can drive a loaded dump truck on top of the ice. Um, and when we have that level of ice, we will fill up dump trucks full of sand and we'll drive out onto the ice and we will hook this spreader up to the back of our truck. And then we pop our tailgates and we'll just drive laps around the beds full of ice and we're just spreading a thin layer of sand, like a quarter to half inch layer of sand on top of the ice. So in the springtime, when all that ice melts, the vines will get a new layer of sand, which will push kind of the vines down a little bit more and it'll cause new growth. So once those vines kind of get buried in the sand, it causes new roots and more root development means more growth with the vines. So we have a rotation Um, every three years, a bed will get sand, hopefully, if we have decent winters. So we kind of break everything up into three sections. So We do one section one year, and another section the next year, and then another section the third year. And then by the fourth year, we start back with that first section again. So everything's trying to get sand every three years. And if we don't do that, um, if something happens where we kind of get out of whack, uh it's, it's real easy to tell. Um, the vines just aren't as healthy looking as they should be. They're kind of thinning out a little bit. So when that happens, we know that we need to, you know, give them another shot of sand in the wintertime. So that, that takes a long time. <laughs> We're in a truck for nine hours a day. We don't stop at all. So we have to bring lunch with us just so we can try to get everything in because Wisconsin winters lately have been so unpredictable. You know, we could have Like 60 degrees one day and then like 30 below the next day. It's just, it's been real crazy the past few years. So we haven't been able to get all the sanding done. And it's really, it's really showing this year. So hopefully uh, we have a nice cold winter, a nice normal cold winter uh, this year so we can kind of get caught up with everything but oh, um, I
2: bet. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. And I mean, yeah. and the, the nine hours in the truck, I mean, that's perfect time to catch up on podcasts, I guess, or just, yeah, to or something. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So you brought up a good point with, um, with freezing your crops and, you know, mm-hmm. I heard, um, over here in Florida, we actually, believe it or not, we have freezes every now and then, even in central Florida. And so yeah. Central Florida, they grow nothing but oranges. And so they'll do the same thing. They will spray, they'll turn on all the water and, um, um, turn on all the sprinklers, and get all the orange crops just like soaked in water so yep. that when it does actually freeze, it creates like this barrier around the fruit. So it doesn't get even colder. And I, like when I first heard about it, I was like, wait, you're going to freeze the plants. But then <laughs> when you just freeze the outside of it, you're not going to freeze the water on the inside. So you're not going to like bust the cells and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. science, that's so cool that <laughs> right. C- kind cranberry <laughs> does the same thing with a huge wall of ice, much more ice than here in Florida. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, um, my My dad was trying to explain it to me <laughs> this spring, actually, so when we're we we watch for frost, so if it gets below like thirty five degrees, that's when we know to start our irrigation pumps. So we do that in the fall and then in the spring when things are starting to come out of dormancy. and I was asking why we why we do that, like how is this helping and you know you're creating that barrier of ice on there but then the energy from the water that's running on top of it is what actually keeps it warm so that's why we always have to keep our irrigation going even when we get that ice on there so it just creates i think kinetic energy don't quote me on that <laughs> but you know it just keeps that energy and keeps the warmth from the running water which just doesn't make sense in my brain but i guess it probably should <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's 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 cool like i I never would have thought that works, but I guess it does. They know what they're doing.
2: <laughs> hey, there you go. I guess you never know. <laughs> that's so cool. So, um, I mean, you guys do work with Ocean Spray, right? Which is Correct. super cool. Yep. That's so awesome. I mean, yeah. uh, what's it like work with them? I mean, when really, when anybody thinks cranberries, they think Ocean Spray. I mean, whether that's yeah. cran grape, any cranberry juice out there. So, what's <laughs> it like working with them?
1: Yeah. So, Ocean Spray is actually a co-op. Um, so, they are farmer-owned organization which is really cool especially you know this day and age everyone wants to know like the farmer's story and um they like they're they're pushing like a new marketing scheme which is really cool they're featuring a lot more growers instead of you know like the old commercials with the two guys you know standing out in the water out in the beds um because that's just the image that you get when you when you think of ocean spray you just think of all those two guys are you guys, are you, are you guys the two guys from the commercials? And it's like, no, we're, you know, we're more than that. So yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs>
1: they're, they're putting the growers first and sharing their stories, whether it's on like a bag of craisins or on the back of a juice bottle or on their commercials. And, um, they're, they're really pushing like how sustainable we are and they want people to know that. And it's really, it's cool. Like I'm excited It kind of gave me the idea of starting, you know, my Instagram page and stuff to just really highlight what it's like to be a cranberry grower because people don't know. Um, So it's been a lot of fun to educate people throughout the entire process and just kind of show them the behind the scenes and the day to day activities that that I do and what everyone else does out here. And it's been a lot of fun.
2: That's cool. That's really good to hear. And I didn't know that they were a co-op, so I mean, that's all the more reason to love them. That that's super cool. (laughs) So are you guys, so with this, we're on season two of the, of the podcast and we're trying to find out a little bit more about organic and conventional. So Mm -hmm. where do you guys kind of fall in on there? Are y'all conventional? Are you organic? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, we're pretty conventional. Um, Just because of the way cranberries are grown, it's really hard for us to be organic. Um, So we are in like a, (laughs) we're in the swamp basically, so we do have a lot of moisture out there. A lot of things that needs to be treated properly, and we work we work really closely with a IPM, an integrated pest management team, and they come out here a lot in the summer. Um, they build a, um, what's the word I'm looking for. We kind of build a portfolio together every year of what. Uh, what we're gonna be applying if we have an insect problem, they let us know like, okay, during this time frame, you're allowed to use this product at this rate. So they kind of take all the guesswork out for us, which is nice. Um, and then, you know, like my dad, he's been doing this for thirty some years. He knows he knows what to do a lot at this point too. So it's a lot of practice um, on his part knowing when to apply like certain fertilizers and things. He knows what to look for. What stressors to look for in the vines, um, but we the IPM team really helps us a lot with our pests. And if we do have like any fungus or anything, any other problems that we have, there they always come in and let us know what we're able to use at certain points, and you know the best treatments that we can use. They can't necessarily tell us what to do, but they can heavily they can heavily suggest things, and we usually listen to that suggestion. So um, that's been a real lifesaver for us.
2: Uh, Oh, oh, I can imagine. And, you know, I didn't even think about that, that, I mean, it's so moist and wet in those conditions Mm -hmm. at the cranberry. So that's kind of a breeding ground for things like you might have mold or, or fungicides or something. So you're going to need some pretty, some like kind of strong chemicals to kind of get rid of that, that problem. But of course it's going to be totally safe by the time the consumer might eat it.
1: Right. Yeah. And we're always checking like our, um, our, like our harvest intervals and things. So like right now, Um, August is usually the time for a lot of bugs just because of the heat that we go through. That's like prime hatching and growing time for bugs as well as cranberries. And we're also getting close to our harvest dates. So we have to really keep an eye on like our, our harvest intervals and what we're applying. So obviously, uh, ocean spray just added a two week test period, um, into the harvest, I guess, into the, like when you can send fruit in so that kind of pushes things back an extra two weeks so we can't use the same products this year as we were last year so that kind of throws a wrench in things but as long as it if they think it makes it healthier for consumers not that it's not healthy already but you know just that extra security then i guess do what you got to do that's fine
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly that's not bad yeah well that's fun all right so Let's kind of talk about your podcast. You just started a new podcast. It's called Forward Farming, and it's with yep. Becca, who's also on Instagram, and she is a dairy farmer. So you've <laughs> got two different perspectives of two different women in the ag industry. So what kind of got you two started on, you know making a podcast, kind of getting your message out there?
1: Yeah. so I originally, when I kind of came up with the idea of cranberry chats, I wanted to do a podcast and I got really discouraged real quick because I didn't think I'd be able to do it um, on my own I didn't think like I have a pretty squeaky voice <laughs> so I didn't think people wanted to hear that <laughs> just on my own and so I was like oh, maybe I'll just try Instagram and see what happens with that and if I get if I get good feedback then I'll think about it later and I I started this Instagram page and I I found like this really awesome group of women To follow in the agriculture industry and becca was one of the first people that i found on here and i just loved her personality i thought that we would get along real well (laughs) we kind of had the same type of humor and um we're into the same type of things so when i was thinking about starting a podcast again uh, i was talking to my husband he's like you know to take some of the pressure off like go find someone to do this with you and right away i thought of becca Um, not only for our personalities, but because um, the cranberry is Wisconsin state fruit and milk is our official beverage. So we're known as a dairy land state. So what better way to, you know, start this thing than having cranberry and the dairy industry merged together. Um, So that's kind of how we kind of, we came together. I pitched this idea to her and she's like, yeah, let's do it. And we were bouncing different name ideas back and forth. Um, we were about to be Cran Dairy
2: <laughs> Chats. <laughs> I like that Cran Dairy Chats. That's, that's uh, catchy. That's,
1: yeah, but I was like, I don't want it to sound too much like my name and blah, whatever. whatever. Um, so I was thinking about it and forward farming just came to me because uh, that forward is the Wisconsin state motto. Being women in agriculture, we're kind of pushing the industry forward and you know, just incorporating the cranberry and, and the dairy industry you know, it's, it's just like a Wisconsin, it's like a Wisconsin thing, you know? So we kind of lump all things, Wisconsin agriculture into one podcast. We talk about our lives as farmers and not necessarily, uh, farm lives. Uh, we're, we're both, but we're prominently farmers. So I know there's a lot of farm life podcasts out there, which is great, but we don't hear a lot of like actual women farmers out there. So we wanted to kind of be that voice and just kind of like chit chat what our what our days are like and just kind of goof around and it's been a lot of fun so far we started about a month ago and um i'm excited to see where it goes from there it's been it's been fun
2: heck yes yeah i mean there's so many podcasts out there now and there's like your story needs to get out there so that's really cool yeah you two started that i can't wait to listen to some more episodes (laughs) um that's so neat yeah. Well, I mean, this has been so fascinating learning about cranberries. <laughs> oh, oh! I, I remembered I needed to tell you something. Yeah. So the reason I love cranberries is because growing up, my dad would always buy cran grape juice from the grocery <laughs> store, but he would never let us drink a whole lot of it. And so when I moved away to college, the two first things I bought were Florida orange juice and a big old container of ocean spray cran grape.
1: Oh, I, I love that. <laughs>
2: I, I sent him a picture. I was like, this is all mine. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs>
1: Good. Oh, I love that.
2: <laughs> it's so great. Crane grape juice is the best. Um, all right. Well, well, Amber, this has been so cool learning about the whole cranberry production side of things and your background and your podcast. So if people want to follow you and see more of your awesome content, by the way, that kind of showcases what you do and the whole production thing, where can they go to follow you? And also where can they go to follow the podcast, of course?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram, just typing cranberry chats. You'll see my mug pop up um and then for our po- podcast Forward Farming look for us on Instagram and Facebook as well and you can download us on Apple, Spotify and Stitcher for right now. So go search for me.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to add it to one of my favorites on on Apple Podcasts and everywhere. So Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, we fellow ag podcasters got to support each other.
1: Yes, we do. That's <laughs> for sure.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, Amber, thanks so much. I can't wait to see more of your awesome content. And um, the next time I go to the grocery store, I will buy a thing of craned grape (laughs) juice and I will tag you in it and be like, here we are full circle.
1: Awesome. I appreciate it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Amber. Have a good one.
1: Thank you. You too.